1: The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. This is Simon Rose and I'm delighted to say I'm joined today for The Bigger Picture by Tim Evans, Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in in London. Uh, Normally we chat about three different topics but today we're going to just do two because we're going to be talking about Egalitarian capitalism, begin with, and I should probably say that this is this is because it is a topic very dear to the heart of the person who founded and runs Share Radio, Gavin Gavin Eldham, uh, somebody I've known for many years and who Tim uh, knows as well. So, Tim, why why are we looking at egalitarian capitalism now? And and I suppose we should we should summarise a a little bit about what it actually means.
0: Well, I I, I think this is an important topic, And, and to be really blunt with you, I actually think it's been an important topic um quite frankly ever since the industrial revolution i mean right through the early uh, 19th century right through the 19th century right through you know the works of charles dickens into the into the 20th century the 1911 national insurance mm. act and and beyond we've always haven't we debated um the right balance between the free market and the state even whether it's nationalized elements or taxation or public policy towards redistribution or various forms sort of state provision. You know, there is this balance to be struck between wealth and us having a basically inclusive and civilized society. And what I think is really interesting about Gavin's work and why I wanted to talk about it today is because it's over and above whether he's the owner of Share Radio. I mean, I think what, he, what he's discussing is very topical, particularly now, again, in light of or the financial crisis of just over 10 years ago, and the sorts of huge gaps in in wealth um, that we see um, today as we move into the 2020s, that the gaps not only between rich and poor, but also between that older generation who often have assets and things like property and houses and and the young who struggle to get on the ladder. Hmm. And and for me, and and again, I'm talking as someone who's uh, a sociologist but fascinated by economics, for me, Gavin's done a lot of thinking um, about these issues, and he's right to have done it. And even more so, he puts his, you know, money where his mouth is. So he's actually currently um, gearing up to fund some really important research at Cambridge University, um, where, where he's actually trying to not only get to grips with some of the ground truths and some of the numbers and some of the facts, but also the possible avenues of success and and some policy changes. So I do admire what he's doing. I mean, in a nutshell, he is really making the point that if you have a free market society where the gaps in wealth become so great that there is a a great swathe of people who can no longer engage in a meaningful way market or the the world of prosperity then that system will lose legitimacy over time and this has long been a concern not just by friends on the political left or, or in the middle but also um more thinking elements of of the center right and i think he is absolutely right in this um now the way he's presented he's done a number of interviews recently and i've listened to his material the way he presents it i think it's interesting um, he talks about the social and intergenerational inequalities that I think we're all familiar with. He talks about the rise of the tech giants and, and the need for there to be things like broader share ownership. Um, he talks about new industries that one senses coming in the future, you know, cyber, AI, space, all that stuff. But what he says is that we not only need to get public policy right, but we also need to incentivize the the young to equip them um, um, to do viable market economics in a sound way. I'll give you really one tangible example. It's something he mentions and I think he's so right. So when my daughter was born, she's just turned 16, um, um, the last Labour government, new Labour, um Gordon Brown to be specific launched and I think it was a very good idea these things called child trust funds where parents could put a sum of money you know into a pot um this money would be invested it would hopefully grow over time and that when children are 18 they've got a pot that they can then spend on either seeing the world or education or whatever what was missing, and, and we've invested in our daughter's pot. Our daughter has a child trust fund. What, of course, is missing is the high quality education and the learning that you want children to go through. Yes, that goes around that process, and and that's one example. You know, we could teach finance. We could talk about money, um, uh, human capital. You know, all these all these aspects of. Of economics in in a much more powerful way, and um, again he talks about rewarding those who build resource and who build life school skills. Um, um, that perhaps we could, for example, instead of just I know pushing up inheritance tax or uh, putatively um, you know penalising those who have formed capital and have been successful, mm. he actually talks about. Re-engineering the tax system to incentivize not only the passing on of wealth, but also linking it to people, young people's growth and um, and their gaining of experience, their gaining of knowledge um, in the workplace and 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 with these key life skills. And he goes through a whole raft of policies um, that Uh, I think, would better equip young people to engage in the market. And he does it across all of it, you know, whether it's taxation, education, social policy. He talks about welfare. And I think, ultimately, what he's trying to do... I mean, what I really respect about Gavin is he's not saying he's got all the answers, that somehow he's got a a monopoly on wisdom. What he's saying is, I've got a few ideas, I've got a few themes or issues that you want to discuss, but what he really wants to do is to spark the conversation, and I really applaud that.
1: I mean, He's been trying to do it for quite a long time, and essentially what he... I, I think at the root of it, he wants people to have greater control over their financial lives and to have a stake in... What he would see as being the proper form of capitalism, rather than the crony capitalism. I know we've discussed it at other times, but I have known Gavin a long time. He set up the possibly the first sort of new wave of private client stockbroking firms. Barclayshare, part of Barclays, began with, and then set up the Share Centre. And, and behind that, which to some extent then coincided with the privatisation programme, there was this idea that, that by owning shares part of the equity in companies that we would we would get this degree of wider share ownership that would lead to um, more people having a stake in the stock market and in their futures and understanding that if you wanted to save for the future there wasn't just wasn't just a case of putting a, a few bob away in a building society, but was actually investing in the companies on which the, the country or the or the world depended. But that never really came to much. I mean people did invest, you know, they listened to 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 Sid and they invested in BT and Bridge Gas and all the others. But to some extent there was there wasn't enough explanation perhaps at the time of how you would be better off buying these shares and holding them from the future so the dividends could build up. It was much more a question of people making a quick turn and getting out and thinking, oh, I I escaped by the skin of my teeth. The Americans do seem to actually understand the stock market in a way that we don't. And and clearly, education is a very uh, important part of this. And Gavin does talk about this huge shortfall in financial awareness. And in the interview we've both watched, I mean, he talks that while there's, I believe, Um, schemes now to introduce financial education to school it's largely seems to be linked to maths and it's not it's a it's 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 got to be a, a you know a skill learnt for your entire life it's nothing to do with maths just because he's I think he said all they're really teaching is the importance
0: of compound interest. Exactly no you're spot on and and he's right you know he makes this play and it's I think it's spot on that we need to teach more and better financial education in schools and in universities. And I think he's absolutely right when he says there should be um, a financial GCSE. Um, I I don't really see why in in the sort of world we're in now, um, if you are um, 14, 15, 16, why you can't do a financial GCSE. I have to say, just as a slight aside, um, we complain about not enough people doing STEM subjects and we all proclaim we need more engineers why also isn't there actually an engineering GCSE and an A-level GCSE? That's um, a good point. But back to Gavin's yes. point, um, he's right. We need more financially capable students and we also need more financially capable teachers because yeah. finance and understanding money and thinking about um, um, uh, uh, the world of stored value um, and, you know, and and capital investment and capital preservation all these different facets they're pretty important in whatever field you go into whether you go into retail whether you go into engineering mm. or, or, or 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 pharmaceuticals or medicine whatever you're going to do to actually understand uh your own opportunities for financial well-being for prosperity uh and all the rest of that i think i think is important mm. and he also makes and i think this is this is very important it's a it's, it's a fairly new labor point if I was going to be political about it but I think it's very wise employers should also be involved um, in in this process and they should be able to offset investing in this kind of and these kind of developments they should be able to offset it against tax as well I what is really talking about is an educational it's it's a mindset revolution now where I think there is a lot of work to be done um is, and Gavin knows me well enough to know that I wouldn't be without criticism, you know, he's not getting a free pass. I mean, after all, he owns Share Radio. So um, I do think that as part of this education should be the realisation that money itself is not neutral. Money is socially, politically and legally constructed. Um, And so is your financial services system um you know since the end of the battle of waterloo what we have meant by the pound sterling um has actually gone through nine different iterations in the 19th century what we meant by the pound was effectively equatable with gold um now what we mean by the pound um is quite frankly something punched into a computer in a central bank um and then that filters through to the uh the, the retail banks, commercial, all the rest of all the people on the high street, and they now they lend into existence most of the money. And when you hear of uh quantitative easing um and 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 these sort of these these policies that have become popular in the last 10 years or so, um the problem with that is of course it inflates people who the value of, of, of people's portfolios people already have assets but it has serious adverse sociological and financial consequences for the young who are not on the run. So I think one thing I would say to Gavin um, is there's also, as part of his education piece, a lot of questioning to be done, particularly by the young, about the nature of money and modern finance. This shouldn't just be, for example, a financial GCSE, where people take the current given explanation of financial services, they should also be given the wherewithal to criticise it and to actually think about what do we mean by money and what will become of money. We read a lot about cryptocurrencies and all that. And how can we um, create realities that will incentivize not only prosperity, but greater justice and fairness? Because at the moment the fact that older people have a lot of property and that the QE is simply inflating, you know, and growing ever larger their their asset portfolios without them actually doing much is very, very unfair as people struggle so hard to get money, for example, to get a deposit together for a property. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot to be done here, but, but uh, you know, for me, this is ultimately, it's not rocket science. Gavin is saying something, very, very important. It is out there in plain sight. It is blindingly obvious.
1: Jim, there are so many aspects of this. We'll just take a brief break and we'll come back and, and, and chat about it a little more. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio. I'm in conversation with Tim Evans, Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University, and we're discussing egalitarian um, uh, capitalism, um, a topic dear um, to the heart of Gavin Oldham, who um, indeed set up um, Share Radio, but he, he's he been talking about egalitarian capitalism for much longer than Share Radio has existed. Uh, one of Gavin's um, uh, main topics is this idea of disintermediation, uh, a word i uh, I always struggle to find I, I would love the, there to be a better word because it is so clumsy and you have to always ask what it means. But essentially, I think one of the problems is the fact that in order for most people to invest, you have to go through intermediaries. I mean, you you need banks for so much, you need investment companies for so much. And as a result, you know, these these are all behemoths. Um, Gavin, I'm sure would actually love it if if. Uh, you know private shareholders still were were incredibly important on the registers of all these big companies, but of course you know private investors have even less sway than they have ever had um, before and as you point out the the financial regime the of QE and keeping interest rates low, financial repression since the financial crash has made this situation much much worse it 's meant that those who have assets have benefited very greatly to uh, the detriment of everybody else. And now that we're moving into a, a higher inflation environment, this is probably going to get even even worse, very difficult for most people to protect what they have. Um, we could talk uh, at length perhaps about crony capitalism but financial education obviously incredibly important i mean gavin's gavin's idea or one of the ideas he floated as you mentioned earlier he's not saying this is the way to do it he's really saying well, these are a few ideas and we need to have this discussion it's terribly important but his idea is intergenerational rebalancing he he feels that the big tech companies which are using uh, immense amounts of data which we're providing essentially for free because we use these companies um should issue equity shares in themselves perhaps in, in recognition of the data that we're using. that some extent he wants intergenerational rebalancing. He I mean one of the ideas he suggests is using inheritance tax to, to pay for this, hypothecating um, uh, the money. I'm not quite sure myself how you could ensure that the money that is rebalanced is used wisely and and invested sensibly without the financial education. Coming first. I mean, it's a massive topic, but in I don't know thirty or more years, we don't seem to have progressed very far. If anything, we've gone further
0: backwards. I I, I think that's right. I think we have, Um, but but history is not linear, and sometimes uh, you do take one or two steps forward, and sometimes you go one or two steps back. I mean, this reminds me uh, about some of the conundrums that were floating around. Quite frankly, in British policy since the 1960s, right through to the 80s, you know, when British industry had to be modernized and open up to more competitive forms um, of of enterprise, you know, we didn't know whether to call that entrepreneurship or competition. I think in the early 70s, we talked about denationalization, and then this word privatization, Came around in the 70s, uh, in the eighties, and and the, there are all these words. One of them is disintermediation. Another is about financial education. Uh, another is about you know intergenerational justice, um, and building a stakeholder society. I mean, what it seems to me is we're we're uneasy about the words because there's something bubbling up here in the pot, but we we haven't quite distilled it yet. Um, For me, the really important thing about Gavin's thinking about the sort of body of knowledge or the body of questions that he's asking is that he knows, I think we all know, there is something very wrong. Um, There are people with ridiculously large sums of money um, without them having put huge amounts of effort into the formation of that money. And there are other people who work incredibly hard, are actually very well qualified, very well educated, but are somehow, you know, almost grotesquely left behind. So the system um, for an awful lot of people, particularly young people, is somehow pitched against them in a way that it wasn't, I I feel. Yes. Simon, when you and I, you know, were there. I mean, I liken this, you know, anyone now could get a first-class degree in law um, um, become British Prime Minister, be given quarter of a million by mum and dad, and they too would be, you know, they will do really well to buy a two-bedroom flat in Kingston upon Thames. And, and that's if you become Prime Minister yes. and, and all the rest of it. Um, when I say that, it you know, you don't know whether to laugh or cry, because it just paints a picture of just how ridiculously difficult it is now to get
1: Um, We've seen as well in the surge of support among young people for uh, Jeremy Corbyn relatively recently that, you know, if capitalism actually wants to survive, it needs to actually understand this and to understand the increasing resentment, which you and I would probably in a private conversation argue is more to do with crony capitalism, free market capitalism, but capitalism nonetheless, that unless it actually does, unless this is sorted out, then people will sway from essentially, the capitalist system and go back to a more communist socialist system because they believe that it would be fair. It doesn't matter how many history lessons you give to show that every socialist regime has always failed uh, and that capitalism is best. That argument will hold no sway if people well, actually think that life is unfair.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I take, a, take a slightly different view. Insofar right. as I, I basically think, I mean, the word capitalism, you know, was very much a word invented by Karl Marx. So I prefer... To think about the free market, and I think the free market rests on two things: property in and of the person. So I have the right to self ownership. I have the right to my to my own body, my own sexuality. Whether I want to pierce my ears, you know, cut my hair in a certain way, dress in a certain way, that's up to me. And then there's also property of the person, which is I have some sort of basic right to um, to the product of my labour. Um, uh, you know, and, and the justly acquired fruits of my labor. Um, and if a society respects property of the person, um, that's the foundations of human rights. And I think it's the foundation of some degree of autonomy and freedom from whatever power might be out there, mm. religious, secular, or otherwise. So, so far as what I've just said goes, I generally support a liberal, tolerant, free market society. But I don't have a problem with various forms of socialism i don't have a problem with mutuals i don't have a problem with for example cooperatives mm. um if you're a group of workers and you want to band together and you want to own a car factory well good luck to you and if well we, we had many
1: examples of employee wide employee ownership companies exactly they seem to have gone most of them have gone by the wayside and many of them they, if the company gets taken over then the system seems to fall to pieces sadly. exactly
0: so so you know i'm 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 very nervous about sort of state directed top down socialism mm. purely because i think central planning is not that sophisticated to lots of adverse uh, you know um outcomes but but within a broadly free society where you have for-profit, not-for-profit, charity, mutuals, co-ops, uh, you know, my view is let a thousand flowers bloom. And what's really interesting about Gavin's work is I think he also senses that he doesn't believe in a one-size-fits-all one approach from any side, mm. be it the so-called free market capitalists or indeed the, the statists. Um, and what he's trying to do is to find the recipe, the sort of mixture, um, and the sort of policies and incentives that will allow people to make a lot of money if they come up with brilliant ideas and solutions, and incentivize people who might what might and could do better, you know. But but do so within fairly sensible parameters. What he doesn't want are some people who are so downtrodden, despite their best efforts, that yeah. they're sleeping in doorways, yeah. um, they're excluded, um, and while well, there are other billionaires simply sipping champagne the whole time. Or,
1: or, or, that, or flying off in their rockets.
0: Exactly. Uh, you know, to an off-planet banking system where no tax is paid at yeah. all. Yeah. And they just, all mine. But, but as but, you said uh, at the beginning,
1: so absolutely fascinating um, topic. There are just so many threads. Um, I mean, perhaps one should encourage um, um, people to to look at this interview we both looked up, which is on the website, I don't know how to pronounce it, Zyen, which is Z-Y-E-N com, and you'll find a conversation there with with uh, Gavin Oldham. Let us briefly pause for a breath, though, Tim. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture. I'm in conversation with uh, Professor Tim Evans of Middlesex University. Um, Tim, we we'll 'd be talking about, uh, I suppose, uh, almost a utopian will, but one we'd like, like to see. But let's talk about the real political world and politics as they are at the moment. We are recording this on the day of another by-election, one that uh, despite uh, a massive majority, it is thought possibly may not be retained. We can't really talk about it very much. Um, but uh, is the Prime Minister in in trouble? Has he lost um, the confidence of his own party? I mean he certainly lost the confidence of at least 100 of his own backbenchers.
0: So there was a very good article many months ago by Damien Phillips um, in The Telegraph where he described Boris Johnson as effectively being a very very lucky politician or as he called him at the time a lucky general and I think that, that um, Boris has had that very lucky sort of Teflon quality about him, nothing has stuck. Mm. Um, and we've often thought of him as a lucky general, even if you know you don't agree with him or even if you are a political opponent of his, you know that this guy um, is not only boosterish, but he often gets away with it. He's a lucky guy. Mm. And, and that works until he's no longer a lucky general. And I think the question is out there now, these days, has his luck run out? On the one side, and there are there are two views here. So on the one side, um, it's the job of a prime minister, isn't it? Being prime minister, they're the minister for everything. And it's their job almost to be unpopular midterm, even if there's a pandemic, you know. Mm. Um, how many times was uh Tony Blair unpopular or Margaret Thatcher, but they came back at the poll on the big day and they won majority? So um it's possible that even though a hundred Tory MPs are pretty angry with him at the moment, that he'll tough it out in some sort of Churchillian fashion and that and it will all come together and HS2 will advance and there'll be a rebalancing with the North and the Northern mm-hmm. Powerhouse and the economy will pick up and Treasury receipts will exceed expectations and more money will be pumped into the NHS and somehow Labour will flounder and there'll be a Tory majority. Or, and I think it's this increasing that's likely, that the Prime Minister has been blindsided by the pandemic, um, as is the case with most uh, governments around the world. You know, the public are getting pretty skeptical and fraught by the measures um, um, uh, being imposed on them. And that below the veneer of the government uh, looking after people and trying to protect in this country, the NHS, that there is no longer a coherent narrative. One example of that is the government planning to increase uh, national insurance and taxes by 1.25%. But then we read this week, increasingly, people are not sure whether they're going to be able to actually derive that extra income. Um, I. Are we at peak of Laffer curve? And the, and the danger is now the government will actually get less in, and it will damage industry more than it raises money, raises taxes. Um, even things like HS2, this was supposed to connect London, Birmingham, and then the North. But what are we seeing? We're seeing the eastern arm up to Leeds and beyond mm-hmm. scrapped. Um, even down to things like smart motorways, which was a policy that was pushed through by this government. You know, now there are uh, concerns about the death rates on them, and well, are they a good idea? Whether you look at the really big picture stuff, or even the 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 the, the micro detail of certain aspects of our road policy. There is this feeling that there is no longer a coherent, unified narrative, and that if you do look at the detail, things are going very wrong. And this in turn is reflected in the polls. There are now polls showing Labour 5, eight, nine percent in the lead.
1: And this is a very recent thing, isn't it? Because Labour were really? actually massively behind the polls, even when six months ago or so, we still felt many people felt the government wasn't necessarily behaving in a rational manner, but somehow didn't actually correspond then to an increase in Labour popularity.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, there there have been these photographs about Boris Johnson attending certain events at Number 10 last Christmas when we were all in lockdown and and not necessarily with loved ones and all the rest of it. I think that's a a major contributory factor. But over and above all that, you know, what normally comes under the heading of scandal and and all the problems that, that Number 10 have experienced There is this feeling that that the wheels are coming off the policy bus in this government and that they don't have, um, you know, a particularly coherent or um, well-placed narrative. You know, you could have said three or four months ago, this is a very clever government, they have put their tanks all over the electoral battlefield, and it's very difficult for Labour to manoeuvre because the Tories have this sort of big tent approach, the Tories right wing and they're spanning to the centre left. Now, the Tories look as if their forces are scattered in disarray so broadly across the battlefield, but that Labour looks like, or is starting to look like, a very moderate, sensible, middle-of-the-road party. And... Here, Starmer is starting to look, I think, you know, as no doubt he ages in his job and, and turns of a greyer, but he's starting to look like a, a safe pair of hands. And where six months ago or three months ago, people might have accused him of being a little bit boring, uh, or, you know, a little bit um, uh, you know, certainly not boosterish or loud or gregarious, that he was slightly boring, slightly stolid, played it too safe mm. all those qualities with which he was criticized a few months ago are now i think uh, becoming ever more attractive to the electorate mm. so it's a real turn of events and whether boris is going to be able to pull it off at election a couple of years from now whether he will survive that long i think is very questionable yes
1: i never thought i'd see a labor chancellor suggesting to a conservative chancellor that they actually cut income tax it's just extraordinary. Strange times we live in. Um, Tim, thank you very much. A fascinating uh, chat. Our loss of the year that we will have a, a best of the prof um, to keep you tight, keep you going over the, the holidays. But for now, it just remains for me to say thank you to uh, Tim Evans, Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.